This show is sponsored by IdealWorkspace.com, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desk. Check out their latest smart adjustable standing desk at Altizen.com. A-L-T-I-Z-E-N.com. Welcome to Analyze Asia, the podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of business, technology, and media in Asia. In this episode, I speak to Charles Anderson on the evolution of low-power wide area networks, otherwise known as WANs, in Asia-Pacific. We discuss the importance of the low-power WANs in the context of smart cities and Internet of Things and how the three major players, MBIoT, LoRa and Sigfox, are entering the Asia-Pacific market. Hi, Charles. Hello, Bernard. How are you? I am good. Happy New Year. Happy 2017 to you as well. Since we last spoke, you have just recently started your own company. Now you are the founder of Charles Reed Anderson and Associates. So what have you been up to? We're still doing a lot of the same stuff. So I'm still speaking at a lot of events. I've just been announced as the conference chair for IoT Asia 2017. And then going out there and just meeting with customers and vendors and still talking about IoT. But I think doing it a little bit differently from the analyst perspective, where it's more reactionary and you're commenting on the market. What I'm trying to do is play a much more active role in bringing together the ecosystem and really driving the solutions going forward. So you're going to be chairing next year's IoT Asia in March 2017 in Singapore, right? Yes, I am. Yep, and I think you also will be traveling all over Asia to talk about IoT in general and smart cities. Which comes to today's conversation, I wanted to talk to you about low-power wide area networks, or we call it low-power ones, mm-hmm. to be short form, in Asia-Pacific. And I know you recently have given a presentation on this. So why don't you start by giving us an introduction to low-power ones and why they are so important in the Internet of Things world? Well, it's been about 12 months now that we've been hearing a lot more about the low-power WANs uh, solutions and technologies that are coming out. And why it's important is that the, the current networks that we're using, especially the mobile networks, can't handle the number of connections that we're talking about connecting. So we've now seen a few different varieties of these low-power WANs come out. And the idea is that they send small amounts of data. So this isn't for doing things like high-depth video. It's for doing tagging items that you want to track through the supply chain. Or in agriculture, it could be about tracking the, the farm animals. Or in energy, it could be you know, using it for smart meters. So it's things that you want to be able to connect, send small amounts of information intermittently. So it's not really high quality uh, networks. But what they do like to do is connect a lot more things. What's the technology behind low-power WANs then? Well, you got a couple of different varieties. So there's two main camps. This is part of the 3GPP initiative, which is backed by the mobile operators and also backed by some of the leading vendors like Huawei, Ericsson, and Nokia. And the idea is this, they're going to be able to partition the mobile network. So it's going to run on the existing mobile networks, but it's going to partition it and allow them to connect a lot more things to each base station. The other ones that you're going to see aren't operating on mobile network networks they're actually going to operate on unlicensed spectrum. So what you have is two main ones in this space, which is Sigfox and LoRa. And they have a very different model, which I'm sure we'll get into going later. But the idea is because it's unlicensed, these things are very cheap to roll out. Anybody can become basically a dedicated IoT network operator with these other technologies. So they can go and compete against those mobile operators. So how are low-power ones deployed and their significance in a smart city setting then? Well, I think the people who want low-power WANs to be committed more or uh, delivered more than anybody else are going to be the governments. And I know in Singapore, they're very keen on it, and in Taipei especially, they've been trying to encourage people to deploy these. 
And the idea is that if you want to create a smart city, it's not just about having a few different solutions. It's about creating a platform that can have hundreds and thousands of different solutions running on it. But to do that, you need these networks that allow you to start connecting up smaller things, whether it's your pets. It could be connecting up a parcel as it gets transferred around town. Things similar to the Amazon Dash, those buttons that allow you to just press a button and it triggers an action. So the, the governments are really behind it because they need this to start driving smart cities, which is good because you always want that market demand to incentivize the vendors to roll out faster. Who are the three major players for low power vans? I know you mentioned MBIOT, LORA, and Sigfox. Yeah. So these are they're backed by, like I said, different ones. So when you look at someone like MBIOT, it's, it's more backed by technology vendors. So the other leading vendors, so Laura is actually backed by Cisco, people like ZTE, Foxconn, Semtech, uh, ST Micro. But then when you get into Sigfox, it's a very different group and they're a lot more solution focused type vendors. So we're seeing a lot of different things. Do you want me to go into sort of like who's backing it in detail and how they're rolling them out? Yeah, that would be a great, interesting point to get into. Why don't you talk about that then? Okay, so what I find interesting about this is for the last year, people keep telling me I prefer MBIOT or I prefer LoRa or I prefer Sigfox. And what I realized was everybody who said this wasn't actually a customer or it was one of the technology vendors. So I started looking into who's actually backing the different technologies to see how the market's going to evolve. And when you break down, we'll just start with MBIOT. And like I said, it's backed by some of the bigger vendors, some of the chip guys like Qualcomm and Intel. But the big three that are backing it are going to be Nokia, Huawei, and Ericsson. And that's because they're the ones that are going to be selling the software into the mobile operators that will allow them to create their MBIOT network. So I'd keep an eye on Huawei in particular. They're working closely with Vodafone, and I think that'll be the one to really set the global benchmark of whether or not this can be successful. But in addition, they're working across Japan with NTT, Docomo. They've got China Unicom, SoftBank, so they've signed up some of the key accounts on this. Another interesting one is to look at Nokia, because Nokia is doing very well in the region as well. Um, but what I like about their partnerships with the operators, they've basically locked up all of Korea. So they're doing deals with SK Telecom, LGU Plus, and KT. So that's one of the markets that's more advanced and you would expect to actually take off sooner. On the other side of it, you've got Ericsson as well, and they're doing some things with Singtel, Telstra, KDDI, and China Mobile. But what's interesting is everybody's lining up these things, but MBIOT isn't actually ready to go yet. We're just now starting to see a couple of proof of concepts and trials. We're only going to see the initial deployments of this in 2017. And I don't envision wide scale deployments until 2018, 2019. So while everyone's pushing it, it's very early days. You'll see the vendors that are talking about it are just talking about the connectivity issue and not really focusing on the solutions as much. So I think it's very early days for this one. Now, what's different is if you start looking at something like LoRa, I mean, like I mentioned, it's backed by a different set of vendors and the operators they're going after are different as well. So the first big LoRa deployments came earlier this year and it was through KPN in the Netherlands doing the first nationwide deployment. And then SK Telecom followed up a few days later doing um, all of Korea. And I think they launched with 97% population coverage. Now, what's nice about this is like, you know, we're seeing it go into more the mobile type operators. So people like SoftBank are interested in this, SK Telecom, even though they might be doing um, MBIOT in the future, they're looking at this as something they can deploy today. So initially it was more hardware vendors, but now what's happened is they've built a lot of partnerships around that solution side. So it could be people like Tech Mahindra are partnering on LoRa, IBM, Actility, EDF. But it changed that model because people are seeing this as ready to go and they want to deploy the solutions now. 
But I think the one thing I really like about this is while it's interesting for some mobile operators um, as a stopgap solution before you get to MBIoT, it actually gives the fixed operators an opportunity to come and compete in this space. So what we've seen from Telecom Malaysia, Tata Communications in India, Telecom Indonesia, and NTT West in Japan is fixed operators moving into the space of IoT now because they realize it's very inexpensive to create one of these networks, and now you can offer a dedicated IoT network. And the final one on this is going to be Sigfox. And they've got a lot of different types of backers, and it's interesting because initially in their early funding rounds, they were getting backed by the likes of Intel and the mobile operators, so Telefonica, NTT Docomo, and SK Telecom. More recently, they've been building out some very interesting partnerships on this, and it's more about people who are driving solutions today. It's Accenture, it's Bosch, and they get the platform providers like Amazon Web Services and Microsoft Azure. And NG, the energy company from France, is actively involved as well. But on that backer side, they just went through a funding round in November, and they received 150 million euros in funding. And what's interesting is Intel's still there. They've basically been in every round. But some of the new entrants into this funding round were Salesforce as well as Total, the other French big energy company. So I'm sure they're looking at it from the upstream and downstream potential. What solutions can we do? Now, their model is very different because mobile operators tend not to launch Sigfox. What you end up getting are these Sigfox mobile or network operators. So they end up creating a company that's going to actually take it to market. And this can vary by country. So what we've seen in Australia and New Zealand is they created a company called Thinkstra. And they've just got the license to um, operate in Hong Kong as well. In Singapore, they launched Unibiz, which is also backed by Sigfox and NG. And then they rolled out in Taiwan too. And they most recently announced a partnership in Japan. And this is an interesting one. It's not a new company. They're going to be working with Kyocera. So it's an existing systems integrator solutions provider that's going to start creating this. So their operator models are very differently. They're much more focused on delivering complex solutions instead of just the network. And I think the other key differentiator in Sigfox is because it's already in 28 countries and it's going to be up to about 60 by 2018, that gives you a global network. You can basically roam on any different Sigfox network. So I'm sure there's going to be a lot of hiccups in this and how much it costs and how it works. But basically, they're creating a global dedicated IoT network. So there's some conundrum that's within the low power networks among these three players. What are they? I think the big problem is if you're sitting there and you're the guy who's making the decision about which one we should go with. Um, if you're an operator, whether it's mobile or a fixed operator, everyone's telling you that, oh, we should be you know, going one or the other, but it's hard to really look at this independently. And I think what people are trying to figure out is what solutions are actually going to be running on this. And I think what it creates is a lot of challenges for those people making those decisions. And what we have to remember is, you know, people say that, oh, like the people who say MBIOT, those backers, say that the other two networks, Laura and Sigfox, aren't secure. Well, the security on a network is only one tiny component of the entire security offering you need for an IoT solution. And then also, that's just sort of their way of you know, trying to beat them down so that MBIOT rises to the forefront. But it's a real challenge for people to understand which one they should go with and where they should invest. Because no matter what, if, if you're a mobile operator, you've already spent a lot of money on your networks and you're not seeing a big return and most of them aren't making that much money off M2M or IoT solutions today. So are you willing to go out there and spend this extra money, whether on MBIoT or LoRa or creating your own Sigfox network with a very unsure revenue stream? And what it breaks down to really is there's a critical question for each of these. And I mean, I, I could spend all day going through all the different questions you would have about it. But if you wanted to ask me if these are going to be successful, give me one question for each. 
So for narrowband IoT, I love the concept of it because it'll get us the types of mobile networks and they can guarantee quality of service on their network, whereas LoRa and Sigfox cannot. But the question is, can mobile operators sell solutions? And this has been a challenge through enterprise mobility, where they've only been able to do the more commodity, you know, hosted MDM type solutions or basic security stuff. But they haven't moved into really mobilizing business processes or business applications. So how are they going to adjust their enterprises to actually do this? And can they do this? Also on this one, you got to think about it. It's an unsure revenue stream. So how are they going to basically justify the expense for the network and the people if they're not sure how much money they'll make? For Laura, it gets a little bit simpler, and I would break it down to this. If SK Telecom can make it successful in Korea, I am going to be very bullish on Laura going forward. SK Telecom launched with the most detailed product launch I've seen in this space ever, I think. So they came out, they had six different pricing options. Basically, they're cutting 90% of the price of an LTE M connection if you want to go on LoRa, which means the business case is going to stack up because it's a hell of a lot cheaper. But they also understand it's important to build out their software and services business to actually start you know, making up for the lost connectivity revenues. So they're very well prepared. They've got a number of use cases and products ready to launch right now. The market's the most advanced. If it's successful there, I'll be bullish on LoRa. However, if SK Telecom can't make this product launch work in Korea, I think it's going to be very difficult to see this become too successful elsewhere because SK Telecom is better prepared than the rest. And then when you look finally at Sigfox, they're growing, they've got the funding rounds, they've got some big backers, but the thing is, can they scale fast enough? Because a lot of the times what we're seeing is they're growing quickly across Asia and the rest of the world, but that means they have to go build out a new network. Um, you're building out a new company and all these companies, a lot of them are getting funding as well. So they have to go through the funding rounds. So can they actually create their networks, deploy the solutions fast enough and scale fast enough to meet the market demand? How are the Asian OEMs, for example, Samsung, Huawei, and then the telco operators, for example, like Docomo, China Unicom, Singtel and SoftBank, they look at these low power ones and leverage the technologies to integrate into their businesses then? They all have sort of different approaches to it. I think Samsung has the most pragmatic approach uh, because it has so many different lines of business. Samsung's been backer of MBIoT. They actually helped SK Telecom deploy the LoRa networks that are involved in LoRa, and they were in the initial funding rounds for Sigfox as well. So they're hedging their bets across it. Whereas Huawei is going to be going very heavily towards MBIoT. I expect them to dominate the go-to-market marketing spend on this over the coming 12 months. This needs to be successful because it'll allow them to go out there and generate, you know, not just, you know, the with the Vodafone, but everybody else. It's a good new revenue stream for them if they can make it successful. On the operator side, I think they're starting to ask the tough questions. Am I going to be able to make enough money out of this? I haven't been successful to date. But how am I going to change my business model and operating model to be successful in the future? So a lot of them are taking a step back. But the ones in the, I would say, the more advanced operators, the soft banks, the SK telecoms, Vodafone's, they're looking at this strategically. And while Vodafone's going to only do MBIoT, SK and uh, SoftBank are going to look at LoRa and then going into MBIoT. So they view it as something you can actually have both of these. And this is the other challenge is you don't need just one of these networks. I'd be more than happy if every country had all three. And then depending on your requirements, one of these networks will be appropriate for it. Or depending on which use case you're looking for, someone's probably going to have it. Will you foresee a situation that any of the two of these three candidates will eventually end up consolidating? Uh, you could potentially. Well, I don't think 
You're not going to see MBIoT consolidating with the other ones because MBIoT is software that basically partitions your mobile network. So they're not going to be going out there and looking to acquire the other ones. I don't think because LoRa and Sigfox are different technologies, although they were started um, both in France, I think, by the two professors who had differing views on how to use this type of long-range, low-power networks. I don't see them acquiring each other. Where I could see, I mean, let's face it, Sigfox is still out there. It's still going through its funding rounds. Someone could potentially or potentially come in there and buy it. You could see some vendors maybe looking at Laura to buy a more significant stake in that ecosystem and really back it. And what you said, you know, it's, it's interesting because if you watch the MBAOT side, what you have is people like Huawei are going to be doing the software going in there to create the MBIoT networks. On the other hand, Cisco sells a lot of the equipment that those networks run on. So what you're ending up getting is what does that mean for Cisco going forward? So how do they protect against that? Well, maybe they back LoRa, but what is their role going to be in MBIoT? They don't really have a play right now, and they're backing LoRa, which is going to go basically against MBIoT and Huawei. So what I want to see is will Cisco get more active in this space in the coming 12 months as well? And if they do, I'm pretty sure it's going to be a lot more in the LoRa space. And they'll look at that as also leveraging their Jasper acquisition. So what are the critical factors for low-power ones to see? I think when it gets down to the success side, number one, we need these things. So we need the IoT networks. Why it'll be successful is because it's going to be a low cost of deployment. And you're talking about, like, I know you could probably roll out a network across Singapore, which granted is a very small country, for probably about a million bucks. For a larger country, you'd be looking at maybe 10 to 15 to 20 million. But that covers your entire network. That gives you a dedicated IoT network. But what really is going to drive it is that market demand side. Now, part of it's going to be smart cities. They need solutions like this or technologies like this to enable their solutions. But the challenge people have is everything about IoT is done in a business case right now. And why this is important is if you're cutting 90% of the cost of connectivity out of a solution, that means it's much more easy to have a successful and profitable business case in the back of it. The other thing is some of these networks have less software and services than you would have on a traditional one or hardware as well. So you could be cutting 30 or 40% of the cost out of your solution deployment now. That means you can connect up more things and more use cases will actually cost in. So things that might not have made sense to tag before, um, you could start tagging now because the price points are going to go so low. Charles, you have talked about the critical factors that will lead to its successes. What are the critical factors that will also end up being in failures to fall low power ones? This is where it's going to become very interesting because a lot of the reasons that this could fail have nothing to do with the technology. I mean, the first thing is it's a very fragmented vendor market. Um, and like you know, I was talking about earlier, you basically have the leading ICT brands competing against each other, which means they're all telling the market one thing, but it's more for a competitive one. It doesn't matter that all three of these networks could be successful. So that fragmentation is going to cause a lot of confusion um, in the market and could prevent people from becoming successful. The other thing is around the use cases. So say if I'm um, an existing mobile operator and I want to launch this, I don't need 10 or 100 use cases. I need thousands of them. So who is going to develop them? Is there going to be an aggregator that pulls in the best of breed around the world and starts selling off these solutions or gives you access to them? But it's hard because right now what you hear is very limited number of use cases being uh, discussed. So I'm waiting to see how this will really evolve. Another thing we have to look at is just the skill shortage. And this is... True, very much so in Asia, because it's not just about the technology skills. We can deploy the networks. We need skills for people who can look at a business process or an industry or a city and identify opportunities where they can leverage these technologies. So you need basically a non-technical audience 
to ensure the future success of IoT and low power winds in particular. So you need to bring them together. And the final one on this, and this is probably the scariest part that a lot of people, especially the vendors, don't want to talk about is it's actually a race for zero. And what I mean by this is in the connectivity side, if you go somewhere like SKT, they're already doing connections for 31 cents a month. And that's, I got a standard price rate. Now, if you do that on a large scale deployment, they're going to give it to you, I'm sure, for a lower than that or free. And this is going to be the downward pressure on connectivity, which means you're not going to be getting revenues. And I could easily see in a couple of years that for low power WANs, it's going to just be free for the connectivity and all the money comes from hardware, software and services. Now, if you're an operator, do you have a business model that will allow you to generate enough software and services revenues to make this worthwhile? And this is going to be the challenge. When you look at the vendors right now, when they're talking to the operators, they tell them you could make X to Y per connection per month. So it's a new revenue stream. In reality, I think those revenue streams are going to go away because of the downward pressure from the market. So where do you see the low power ones go in 2017 and then going into the following year this then? Well, I think what you'll see in this year, Sigfox already has been growing rapidly across Asia. I'd be very surprised if they don't do at least another six or seven country deals um, in the coming 12 months in Asia alone. That's going to give them pretty blanket coverage. Will these different Sigfox network operators be able to actually work together well and start driving the market forward? Laura, I anticipate some of these bigger deployments from the fixed operators will get quite exciting. You'll start seeing those being deployed a lot for smart uh, city solutions as well. MBIOT is the one that's going to be interesting. Will the operators be willing to cough up the money now to upgrade their networks to support this, or are they going to wait around? I mean, a lot of people say, well, I don't need MBIOT right away because I can wait for 5G. Well, 5G, if you're looking at commercial deployments, realistically, you're looking at 2021 or 2022. So you can't wait for it. It's got to be done sooner. So I'm kind of bullish on the, the ones that work today. Also, because a lot of their backers aren't just talking about technology. They have solution providers that are backing these technologies. So Charles, it's always good to hear, get you here to talk about any, all things IoT and enterprise mobility. You're still the person I want to talk to. So help my audience. How do they find you? Um, I can be reached on Twitter at CRA Singapore. I can be uh, found on LinkedIn as well under Charles Reed Anderson and at my website of charlesreedanderson.com. You can find me at bleoncwrbernaleon.com. Subscribe to us at Analyze Asia, A-N-A-L-Y-S-E Asia. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Acast, and TuneIn. And of course, Google Play in the US market. And of course, drop me feedback. I'm always looking forward to hear from all my readers for suggestions as well. Once again, Charles, Happy New Year and thanks for coming on the show. Always a pleasure. Happy New Year to you as well.